We are reminded every worship service of the grace of God that, uh, by, by which we can come here this morning, that we've confessed our sins and He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's our hope and comfort every week when we come to worship our God. Amen. Let's come uh, now to God's Word. Our scripture reading is from Isaiah chapter 40, in the first place, Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, we'll read verses 1 through 11. Isaiah 40, verse 1, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So far from Isaiah 40. Let's also turn now to 1 Peter. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. And we'll read through chapter 2, verse 3. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation." 
if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So far the reading of God's word. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 34. You'll notice that Peter quotes that psalm. Psalm 34, verses 3 through 5. The text to which we want to give our attention this morning is the same text that we read from 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. It's not a long text, and we might be helped by just reading that text over again. So let's turn to 1 Peter 1, verse 22 once again. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of our Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So far. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, in our text this morning, we come to the first set of practical uh, pastoral exhortations in this letter of Peter. Some of the applications. So we saw last week that the Christian life is where hope meets holiness. Uh, and, and that was the, the, the intersection that the text last week uh, spent time on. Uh, so we started looking at our hope in the, in the last several weeks, and then we made that transition. Now Peter's going to unpack for us something of what that holiness looks like. What does it mean to live holy lives before God? Uh, so uh, we, we saw last time Then the, the great exhortation is hold on to your hope and let that lead you to a life of holiness. And the very first command, then, that, that Peter gives in that realm of living your life holy, is, it comes here in, first, in, in verse 22, chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from the heart. That's where Peter begins. The Christian life, that life of holiness, begins with love. It begins with love. Uh, Now, I want to make sure we understand the logic here in this verse, because it might not be immediately obvious. Uh, You'll notice here Peter gives two reasons why we should love one another earnestly from the heart. Uh, You can argue they're the same reason, but he gives a reason, then the command, and then a reason again. Uh, the way this works. So, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. 
That's the first reason. Why should you love one another? Because that's what you purified your souls for. We'll uh, explain in a moment what that means. Uh, And then again in uh, verse 23, so love one another from a pure heart since, so here again he's giving a reason, since you've been born again, not not of perishable seed, but imperishable. Uh, So why should we love one another from the heart? Well, the first reason Peter gives is because you've purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for that very purpose. Uh, The reason your souls have been made clean is for the purpose of loving one another. Uh, Now, I want us to spend a few minutes unpacking what those statements mean. What does it mean that we have purified our souls for uh, obedience, or or, excuse me, by our obedience to the truth? Well, the big idea here is that uh, our obedience to the truth, which is our obedience to the gospel, uh, as the truth is proclaimed, it comes with a call, repent and believe. Uh, So that's the obedience to the truth. Uh, With that, it it brings about not just the forgiveness of your sins. That's what we think of first of all. uh, Repent, believe. Why? So that your sins may be forgiven. Uh, But it brings more than that. It doesn't just bring the forgiveness of our sins. It brings also the cleansing of our hearts. The changing of our desires. When we turn from sin to God, God not only forgives us, but He also begins to renew us. He makes us new. Uh, He gives us new hearts. Uh, The word soul here, purified your souls, is is, uh, very similar in concept to the word heart. They they really mean the the same idea. So you've purified uh, your your hearts. And it refers to your your mentality, uh, your your motives, your, your deepest desires, really the essence of who you are is made new by your obedience to the gospel call. When you repent and believe, you are made new. God uh, makes you new. Uh, Well, if that's true, then Peter asks, well, what have you been made new for? You're not not just made new to sit around and be new. You're made new for something. And Peter says that is for a sincere brotherly love. That's what God made you new for, that you would love, that you would practice His love for one another. Now, I'm convinced that Peter says this as something that's supposed to be liberating for us, not not a burden that we should be adding onto our shoulders, not just something we're commanded to do, but something that, that Peter wants us to understand we're freed to do. You've been purified in order to do this. You know, all the, the desires and the envy and the malice, the things that live within us that keep us from loving one another, Peter says you're freed from those things. You are free to love one another. Uh, that, that, that hostility and alienation that is so characteristic of this world, that self-centeredness that, that just tends to rule us, Peter says you're free from that. Uh, You've been set free from it, uh, and and you may now love one another with a true, pure, sincere heart. 
Uh, just as your old nature was, was committed to looking out for number one, to defending your kingdom and your rule uh, over against the kingdom of God, well, that's, that old kingdom has been broken down. A new one is, is built up within you. And because of that, your new heart commitment is both to love God and to love God's people from the heart. That's who you are. Now, Peter also adds, uh, love one another sincerely, sincerely. Uh, We can go through the outward motions of love, uh, and perhaps we are skilled at doing that, looking like or acting like we love others. Uh, But that's not what Paul, or sorry, that's not what Peter is calling us to. He's calling us to love one another sincerely. Let it be truly from the heart. just as, as your heart was once truly committed to, to, to serving you, let your heart truly, from the bottom, be committed to serving God's people. Uh, and so what Peter is saying is you're free. You are free to do that. Uh, you've been purified from all that has kept you from doing that. Uh, Because your standing uh, before Christ is absolutely secure, Uh, no one else is a threat to you, to your kingdom. You are free to love them sincerely with a pure heart. Uh, So, uh, given that that is true, he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, this this word earnestly uh, carries this idea of stretching or straining uh, in in the in the Greek, it's that's the image that 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 he has. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Uh, what that does tell us is there's a certain effort, right, in in loving one another. It doesn't just come automatically. It's not always easy. There's an effort that is put into it. Uh, certainly, it it is supposed to flow naturally from a, a new purified heart. Uh, but that's not something we're supposed to just you know, sit back and wait for that to happen. He says, love one another earnestly. Strain, stretch to love one another. Make an effort to love one another. Uh, even though, yes, it should happen naturally, and it should be a joy and will be a joy, it is also a labor. And we speak that way, a labor of love. And it is a labor Uh, we're not always easy to love. Uh, You're not always easy to love, and your brothers and sisters are not always easy to love. So so we have to make an effort. Uh, If we're going to love one another with the kind of love that Christ himself loves us, well, think of the effort that Christ went through to be able to love us as he did. Uh, That will take some straining, some stretching, some work, to love that way. Uh, and, and really the, the, the central part of that effort, how we love, is, is by reminding ourselves, going back again and again and again to how God has first loved us. Uh, that, that takes effort, remembering that day after day. But that's the source from which we love one another. Uh, so that's, that's the first reason Peter gives. Why should we love one another? Uh, from a pure heart, because our souls have been made clean and pure by our obedience to the gospel call. 
Uh, the second reason that Peter gives in verse 23 then is also because you've been born again, not with perishable seed, but imperishable by the living and abiding word of God. Now here's a point, and it's really just building upon uh, what has just been said. If the gospel message is, is that God has sent His Son into a world that is perishing uh, to, to be born, uh, being, being born of, of uh, or sorry, a world that is, that is born of corrupt and, and perishing human nature, as, as King David says in Psalm 51, I was conceived and born in, in sin. If God sent His Son into that world to save it, uh, then it, then it is in need of, of that kind of salvation. It is in need of a radical salvation. If God would come into a, a broken, fallen, perishing world uh, that, that should tell us how, how badly we are in need of that salvation. Uh, that's what Peter has, has told us so far. This is where you were. This is the world you came from. This is what God saved you from. Now, uh, as you've believed that gospel call, look to who you are now. Uh, are you still that person that's still perishing, part of that old world, or are you something new in Christ? You've been born again, not with perishable seed. Not, you're not part of that old world that Christ had to come to save. You're born of the imperishable word of God. Uh, and so Peter, Peter lays that, that truth before us, quoting from Isaiah 40, all flesh is grass, and its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. That's who you are by God's word. Uh, the, the, what the word is and what the word produces uh, lasts forever. Uh, you are made new by something new that's not going to perish. Uh, so the old you, which let's be honest, still lives within us. That old part of us is still there. Uh, The old you, who you were by nature, is perishing. And the new uh, you that Christ is making you to be by His Word will live forever. And so Peter asks you, which one will you be? Are you going to be the you that is perishing? That's part of that fallen world. Or are you going to be the you that will last into eternity? Uh, The old must die. The old must perish and it will perish. Whether you choose to be that person and perish with that, or whether you choose to be the the, the person that, that Christ is making you to be, the old will one way or another perish. It will perish. And that's a good reason then to live by that which will abide. Uh, even though we have that, those old remnants uh, of that old nature within us, these temptations, Paul's going to get, or Peter's going to get there, uh, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, uh, though we have those things still uh, living, still kicking, as it were, within us, that old nature is not going to be there forever. It is not going to last. Therefore, he says, don't be that person. Uh, if that's not who you're going to be for eternity, then practice not being that now. Uh, now, I, I want to be able to appreciate how meaningful this, this was, particularly for the, the Christians to whom Peter is writing. 
Uh, they were watching their, their old nature being, being torn apart literally in the flesh. They were watching a perishing world perish within their own bodies uh, as they were persecuted, driven from their homes, and many of them ultimately brought to the amphitheaters to be killed by, by lions. Uh, and, and those who, who persecuted them were absolutely determined to extinguish the gospel. That's what they thought they were doing. The persecutors thought, we are going to destroy the word of God. We're going to destroy the gospel. And what Peter is saying is, the, thing, the only thing that's perishing here is not the word of God. It's the old you. It's the old world, the old nature. That is perishing but the new you will endure forever because the word of God will endure forever. They will not be able to extinguish it. Uh, Though they they flourish now, though they look powerful now, they are grass. They're grass. They're going to disappear. They're going to fade as quickly as they come. And even though they might oppress you, even though they might kill you, yet in a moment they will be gone and the word of God is still going to be there. You know, and this is true. Empires and, and nations have tried and tried to extinguish the word of God, and they've never been able to do it. Uh, philosophers have predicted century after century, you hear the same prediction that the Christian faith is going to disappear, that it cannot last into uh, modernity. Uh, and time and time again, they fail, and the word of God remains. Uh, they, they might wage war with all their might on, on the Word of God. Uh, in, in former ages, Bibles were collected in massive heaps to be burned, uh, and, and yet they have, they have not destroyed the Word of God. Uh, it, it is, as it were, an anvil upon which many hammers have been broken. They cannot extinguish the Word. Uh, And if that's true for those who persecute the church, uh, what Peter does then is he turns this around and applies it to you. Uh, If the word of God cannot be extinguished, then abide in that word. Don't abide in that which is grass. Don't be the grass that's fading and perishing. Live out of the word that is going to abide forever. Uh, See to it that your hearts, your minds are renewed by that word and and not simply living in that which is fading. So then Peter applies this in chapter 2, verse 1. Put away, therefore, all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Uh, these are essentially the opposites of that brotherly love uh, that, that he's been calling us to. Uh, now, if you think about it, it's, it's really an amazing thing, or at least it's amazing to me, uh, that Peter, speaking to these persecuted, suffering Christians, would, would remind them to do this, to put these things away. You would, you would think that suffering, persecuted Christians would at least not have to worry about this, uh, these, these fleshly uh, impulses, but of course they do. Uh, the fact that, that Peter then should have to tell them to put these things away speaks to us how deeply entrenched these things still are within us, uh, how near they are to coming to the surface if we do not put them to death. Uh, it's entirely possible for a Christian community, even while being persecuted for the same faith to nonetheless fall into deceit 
and envy and malice and hypocrisy and slander against one another. It's entirely possible for Christian communities to do that. And so Peter urges them, put these things away. Uh, Malice. Malice is uh, hatred. It's uh, wishing ill upon others. It it lives within us. It's there, and we must put it to death. That's part of the old world, and it will fade. Uh, deceit, lying. You know, we go through the Ten Commandments uh, year after year, and, and one of these commandments is, is, is lying. Uh, you shall not lie, uh, because it's so deeply entrenched within us. Hypocrisy, envy, uh, the Tenth Commandment, slander, uh, again the Ninth. Uh, these things live within us. Peter says, put them away. They will fade. They will die. And the only question is, will you die with them? Or will you be the person Christ is making you to be by his word, which will endure forever? Uh, and so he says, put these things to death. And then on, on the flip side, like newborn infants, so something's dying and something's being born. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Now, this word uh, translated spiritual, spiritual milk, uh, if you've had an, uh, an old King James or a new King James, you might remember the old translation, uh, the milk of the word. Uh, and that's, that is in the Greek, uh, the, the word is, is logikon, which means of the word. Uh, here it gets translated spiritual, but I think the old translation is better, long for the pure milk of the word. Long for the pure milk of the word. Uh, and it's really a, a profound point. If, if one part of you is, is dying and you're putting it to death, a new part is coming into being. How do you feed that new uh, infant, uh, that new person that you are? Uh, and he says, by being in the Word. That's, that's not only the source of your identity. That's not only what made you who you are as a Christian. It's also what will nurture you and cause you to grow, be in the Word. Uh, the Word of God then not only brings us into existence, but sustains our existence. Uh, and so if we desire to be that people that Christ died to make us, uh, then, uh, the, and that is a, a people whose souls are purified by obedience to the truth, uh, then there's nothing we should hunger for more than the pure milk of the Word. It should be our daily sustenance, our, our constant recourse that we turn to again and again. It's the nutrition that sustains us day in and day out. Uh, and so really, if you step back, take a step back and think of this, this text as a whole, you can break it down in, into two very simple points. Uh, Peter speaks of us as newborn infants, and so if we take that that concept forward, uh, newborn uh, infants who are born by the power of, of the Spirit, uh, what do newborn infants long for the moment they come out of the womb? Well, we know what, uh, what happens in the natural world. They, they breathe, they cry, and they long for their mother's uh, presence and their mother's milk. Well, here in this text then, Peter is, is giving us a similar Uh, idea saying something similar happens when you're born again. If that happens when you're born, what happens when you're born again? Uh, We we also have instinctive longings. As as newborn Christians, we have these instinctive 
longings. And what are they? Well, number one, we long for the Word. Every true Christian longs for the Word of God. That's their milk that brings them into existence and sustains them in that, uh, in that life. Uh, we hunger for the Word because we know, more, uh, we know that through it we see again the grace that God has given us and the people that God is making us to be. And number two, going back to the first part of the text, number two, we long for the fellowship of other Christians. And we long for the Word and we long for the company of fellow Christians. Love one another uh, sincerely from a pure heart. You think of what David uh, says. I've quoted this a lot. I love to quote it. Um, Psalm 16, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. You hear a a born-again Christian, if you can call David that before Christ, a born-again believer longing for the presence of God's people. And you can, you can go anywhere in the world and, and you, you, find, uh, you find a church and you'll, you'll discover this is what true Christians long for above everything else. Give me God's word and give me a place among God's people and I have everything that I need. Uh, you can take a lot from a Christian, but if he has those two things, the word and the company of fellow Christians, uh, he'll still be all right. By the grace of God, he'll be okay. Uh, the, the pastor, uh, John MacArthur, tells the story of the execution of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a theologian uh, under Nazi Germany uh, and spent many years in, in Nazi prisons. Uh, and he says, in the gray dawn of an April day in, in 1945, in the Nazi camp of Flossenburg, a pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed. He was executed by special order of Heinrich Himmler, Hitler's executioner. He had been arrested two years before, and over that period of two years had been transferred from prison to prison to prison, from Tegel to Berlin to Buchenwald to Skonberg, finally to Flossenburg. And in, in the moving of Bonhoeffer from place to place, he ended up losing all his contact with the outside world. Everyone that he knew was severed from him. He couldn't speak to any of them. Uh, and he, he lost, according to his own testimony, in his own writings, he said he lost the most precious possession he ever had, which was the fellowship of other Christians. Uh, that was his most prized possession. Uh, years, years earlier, Bonhoeffer had written a book called Life Together. It was uh, based on Psalm 133. Uh, and he wrote in that book about the, the riches of Christian fellowship, which he, during his imprisonment, ultimately lost. Uh, and, and this is what he said. He said, The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. A physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. How inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in daily fellowship of of life with other Christians. Uh, Elsewhere in the book he wrote as well, uh, Let him who has such a privilege thank God on his knees and declare, It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in fellowship with Christian brothers. That, he said, is the church. You live in fellowship with Christian brothers. Uh, that's, that's the most basic instincts of every newborn Christian. Give me God's word. Give me God's people, and I'll be fine. 
In fact, you see this uh, in, in the very birth of the Christian church in Acts 2. Uh, we've, we've looked at this verse a bunch of times as we've gone through the catechism. Uh, but Peter preaches, 3,000 are baptized, and their first instinctive desires are the apostles' teaching. That's the word of God and the fellowship and then the breaking of bread and prayers which are done in that fellowship. A hunger for the word of God, a longing for the people of God are the deepest hungers of every true Christian. And they're the most obvious evidence of every true Christian. Do they desire the word? Do they desire God's people? Uh, That's the evidence that they are among God's people, that they are born again. And so Peter's instruction to us is cultivate that hunger. Cultivate that hunger both for God's word and for God's people. Uh, Long for the pure milk of the word by which you grow into maturity and that ultimately leads to salvation. And long for the company and fellowship of God's people here in this congregation. Uh, So love one another with a brotherly love sincerely from a pure heart. Amen.